welcome to the 94 Feet Report. I am your host, as always, Eric Spiropoulos, and you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. As usual, the 94 Feet Report basketball podcast is brought to you by Fan Essentials. Use promo code 94 Feet at checkout for 30% off your first subscription. And Daily Fantasy Pro. Check out the links in some of our episode descriptions for great daily fantasy tools and also a way to help out the podcast. We are, of course, part of the 16 Wins a Ring podcast network. You can find some of my articles there and my articles on Hoops Habit. In today's two-part episode series, uh, we'll run the first part today about the Eastern Conference, and then the second part will come out later this week about the Western Conference. We are uh, going to be joined by Tamberlin Richardson, who is an editor for 16 Wins a Ring and Thunderous Intentions, also a feature columnist at Raptors Republic, and coming soon, the return of her podcast, Tamberlin's Tip-Off. Um, so Tamblyn does a lot, and, and she knows a lot about the NBA, so we'll be joined about her to talk about her award frontrunners, and then we'll do a trade deadline slash all-star break special in which we dive into each team in the NBA, talk about whether they're trending up or down, and then talk about some potential moves they could make for the trade deadline. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this interview with Tamblyn Richardson, and be on the lookout for episode two uh, involving the Western Conference later this week. And we are now joined by Tamberlin Richardson. Tamberlin, how are you doing today? I'm great, Eric. How are you? A little tired, but other than that, good. Can't complain. Can't complain. Actually, I can complain about last night's All Star Saturday Night events for the most part. Um, what? A, thank you. Thank you. Uh, do you have any brief thoughts on the All Star Saturday Night? My only thought really is that once again for me, the three point contest is better than the dunk contest. Um, if you take away the past, I think it was two years of the dunk contest. For the most part, the three point contest, in my opinion, has been more interesting over the past couple of years. Um, so maybe you want to share any brief thoughts you had on All-Star Saturday Night and any specific players that stood out to you? That's basically what I put in a recap that I did where I said that, were, or a preview, where I said that the past, up until last season, it was like, I would even say last season really, uh, uh, since Vince Carter there hasn't really been that type of Saturday Night event. Now, I live in Toronto as you know, so I felt and said at the time that the All-Star Saturday Night was going to take a decade or more to equal or surpass because it wasn't just what Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon did in that dunk contest. It was an exciting three-point um, competition. But for me, uh, and, and it was the introduction of the bigs versus the smalls in the skill competition. Yeah. So for me, what made last night the best was really the first event, and it was... How much fun is Nikola Jokic and Kristaps Porzingis to watch? They're absolutely just such a joy. When I wrote my article um, on Jokic for sixteen wins a ring, I just just like loved watching videos of him because he really is one of the most entertaining players, not only young players, just overall players in the league to watch. The absolute joy. Uh, I'll give you another player too, which was the same thing that we saw. For me, the highlights of the weekend so far were the BBVA Rising Challenge, the second half of it, because Jamal Murray showed why he is a stud. And mm-hmm. you can see the absolute joy he takes in playing. Same thing with Nikola Jokic. Um, obviously, Reggie Miller doesn't know how to say Jokic because he kept referring <laughs> to him as the Joker. Poor Zingas was incredible and if it wasn't for Porzingis getting out and getting that first chest pass Jokic would have won that because he let fly yeah he hit both of his threes on the first attempt yeah and his he banked in the second one from (laughs) well behind the three-point line for me that was the standout as I said uh, Jamal Murray's performance was great Aaron Gordon obviously hurt that dunk competition was so bad the faked feigned uh 
excitement over Glenn Robinson, who I, by the way, picked because I had a feeling Gordon was hurt and I thought maybe Jones would fade with all the lights on him, but that kid's got pops, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And the moment that they did for Craig Sager was great, but fell a little short with Steph not being able to hit the half-court shot. But yeah, it was a real dud. Not impressed. Yeah, it it was a dud. The crowd was really quiet. To say the least. I mean, that crowd was dead for the most part. I mean, I don't... I don't blame him when each dunker missed about three or four of their attempts before they got it, but um, the crowd was pretty bad, and, you know, I don't know, that's maybe just on New Orleans, maybe it's just on the lack of the exciting... Maybe, maybe the guys are all out at Party Gras watching and... Exactly, it was the same week. Show or us your you know what, you know? Yeah, um, but yeah, it was a dud of a night, and, I mean, the All-Star game tonight, it's going to be the same old, no defense, spectacular dunks and alley-oops and stuff like that, same old, same old, so... Hopefully well, next the year. Nar- the narrative is whether or not Westbrook plays with any of the Warriors and whether he'll pass Katie the ball. I have a feeling he's going to play Harden and Westbrook together a lot. That's a, yeah, I think so as well. And I think Kerr will. I think Kerr will throw Westbrook out with the Warriors for like a couple minutes. Who also probably throw out the uh, former big three, Katie Harden Westbrook for a couple minutes and then stagger the rest of it because Kerr likes to mess around with people. <laughs> So anyways, that's enough time spent on the dud of the All-Star Saturday night. Um, let's move into our, our next segment, uh, Award Frontrunners. Um, I really want to talk about yours because people who have listened to the past two episodes of the show have heard my frontrunners, um, so they pretty much are stuck with them. I have made one change, which I'll get to when we get to it. But uh, So we'll just dive into each award. I'll say who I have and then um, see if you agree or disagree on who you have, and then you can uh, briefly elaborate on why. Um okay. I'll start with Rookie of the Year. It's actually now more interesting now because of Embiid's injuries and, you know, who knows how many games he's actually going to be able to play. I think he's only played in 31 so far. He's got that torn meniscus. They should be seriously careful with him. So he might not even play, you know, half the season, depending on what they do with him the rest of the year, which opens up the door for his teammate, Dario Saric. I know you love Saric. We've talked about him before. Uh, Would he be your pick for Rookie of the Year, especially if Embiid can only play 40-ish games? Well, you, as you know, I was I said coming into the season, my preseason picks were watch out for the two Philly guys, which was Embiid and Sarich, and they've lived up to expectations. Sarich's rebound numbers are crazy. Now, having said that, I also, as you know, had a dark horse who won MVP in the BBVA Rising Challenge, which was Jamal Murray. Now, the other player that I'm really high on and have been – uh, when he he came into Toronto for a workout, and if we weren't so guard heavy at the time, I really loved this kid, which was Malcolm Brogdon. Mm-hmm. If the Bucks make the playoffs, and if the Nuggets make the playoffs, you have to consider that if Murray and Brogdon, and Brogdon more specifically, although depending on what happens on the on Thursday at the trade deadline, Murray may become more of a factor because his name is not being bantied around like Moutier's is, right? Yeah. So for me. The, the light may shine and shift onto Brogdon and Murray. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I mean, Murray, depending on what the Nuggets do, they could trade Will Barton. He's been rumored for basically the entire year. Um, they have so many guards there. Who knows what they do with Moody Eye? Um, yeah, uh, Murray could get a bigger role there. Brogdon, of course, has been really good for the Bucks. Um, the Bucks have their own issues now with Parker's injuries, and you know we'll see if they can make the playoffs. But uh, poor guys, it's so sad. They just get the game. Middleton comes back; he gets it, hurt. Parker. It is really just terrible, terrible for him. I wonder if he can come back from that, Eric, because it, that's the same. Need. Same, that, same. That buckled. Yeah, that it's a it's a serious worry for the Bucks moving forward. Um, 
but Brogdon's great. So um, you know that you've Brogdon's actually, amazing. Yeah, you've actually got like an actual race now because of Embiid's injuries. I mean, if you ask me the same question before Embiid got that meniscus injury, almost ninety nine point nine percent of people had Embiid, but now with his injuries, it makes the kind of Rookie of the Year race kind of thrown up in the air now. Murray still might win it. That's the crazy part. Yeah, because the thing is, when he's on the court, Embiid is not Embiid's not even good for a rookie. He's just a good player overall for the entire league when he's actually playing. Of course, the problem is he can't really play, so it makes it more interesting. But of course, if Embiid comes back healthy and, and gets to like 50 games, I'd still probably give it to Embiid, actually. Yeah, I mean, how good is that team going to be as soon as they get a, a valuable... Well, I mean, we don't really know what Ben Simmons is going to do and, and whether he's going to have the ball on his hands. So they may be looking more for a shooting guard than they are for a point guard. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I think that you get a nice shooting guard around. Yeah, they're going to probably have Ben Simmons play like a point guard with the ball in his hands a lot, so you need a shooter around him, of course. And then you've or, co- they, or you get a versatile 1-2 in the draft. I mean, this is a guard-heavy draft coming up. So. Yeah, they have options. They certainly have options, okay, and they've okay. got great young talent. So the future is bright in Philadelphia. Um, let's move on to the sixth man of the year. Um, I've got the now newly crowned three-point champion Eric Gordon for sixth man of the year still. There are a lot of candidates, but I think Gordon being on that winning team has often played into the narrative of six man of the year. They usually come from a good bench player on a good team. Um, so I'm going to stick with Eric Gordon for now. Who do you have for six man of the year? Well, that's another interesting one. And once again, it comes back to where the teams finish with all the awards other than rookie of the year, but I still give credence to teams that do well and teams that factor into seeding in the playoffs. So for me, I think, Although the Rockets have benefited greatly from this high-octane offense, I do think what Memphis has done with so many new pieces and so many injuries, you have to still be looking at Zebo for what he's done and just for him going to the bench and doing so with like a good attitude. It may point to him. The other person or people, it will depend on what happens in the Eastern Conference. If, for example, Toronto ends up with the moves that they've made finishing at one or two in the east do you suddenly look at a player and i'll point to norman powell because his role is going to grow and you're going to see a big uptick because when he plays more than 24 minutes even before terrence ross left his numbers were better when he played 24 minutes he had a higher efficiency rating than terrence ross he scored double figures when he played 24 minutes his three-point efficiency was better than ross's in 24 minutes ross regressed when he played more than 24 minutes so keep an eye on that but i think you're right i think eric gordon is kind of like the the guy that's going to get it lou williams will get some chatter around him as well if he ends up staying with la yeah yeah i mean it's Lou Williams probably has better numbers than Gordon, but, you know, as I mentioned, I think Gordon has that kind of classic six-man-of-the-year narrative, like good bench player on a good team. Um, Zebo has that too, and I think Zebo could be second. Um, probably Lou Williams thrown in there because his numbers are just so good off the bench. But Eric, Eric's been impressive even in terms of his – he's been better defensively this year. Oh, yeah, and he's giving more effort. He's happier. You, you know, we've heard all those stories about him, you know, basically throwing New Orleans under the bus. Um, I have found respect for him now. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really expect this kind of level from Gordon. I knew he was good offensively and good three-point shooter, but, you know, the effort on defense, you know, is a lot better than what, you know, people talked about previously for him. So he's kind of changed the entire narrative, and he's healthy, which I just feel happy for him to be healthy this season uh, for, the most, for the most part. Um, yeah. Most improved player there is actually the board that I have my first change. Um, I love Giannis on Inacumpo, but 
you know, as we talked about in the Rising Stars, Nikola Jokic is so fun to watch. And um, I was looking at his numbers and his per 36-minute stats and, and some of his advanced stats are actually, you know, equal to Giannis's or sometimes better than Giannis's. Um, the, these, you know, traditional points per game, stuff like that, haven't, you know, don't look as great as Giannis's improvements because, you know, Giannis has just taken such a huge jump. But I kind of want to be that person that's just not on Giannis bandwagon right now. I'm, I'm going to join the, the Jokic train for most improved player, though I don't think he'll end up actually winning it. I mean, people got to start talking about Jokic more. Yeah, I mean, what he's doing for a big man is is insane. His joy, joie de vivre of the game, as we've mentioned, the difference being that Giannis is leading every category. That's what becomes tricky about this. When you when you're leading in points, you're leading in rebounds, you're leading. You know what I mean? Like he's leading in so many yeah. categories for the Bucks. That's what makes. And if you watch the Giannis Antetokounmpo play, it. There's a few players in the league that you go to see the team play, like an up-and-coming team, like the Wolves, or you want to see what uh, Embiid is doing, but also the whole Sixers. When you go to see the Bucks, you're going to watch Antetokounmpo. And when you go to see Denver, there's a lot of other players as well. But now Nikola's kind of in that same framework that you just want to see this kid play. So I think I'm going to lean towards what you're saying, but I'm going to say this. Whichever team finishes higher, that's who should win most improved. I like that. I like that. Um, right now, I'm, I'm, I'd am I'm comfortably say that the Nuggets will finish higher um, just because, well, they are a couple of games better now. And I just think that, you know, they will probably squeak into the playoffs because the race for the AC in the Western Conference is really just a train wreck. Uh, same thing in the East as well. Um, but with the but the injury to Parker, I'm kind of concerned about the Bucks. Um, but yeah, I mean... I don't think enough people are talking about Jokic for most improved. I think it's the chatter has only started in the past week. Um, Giannis has been, you know, kind of the front runner the entire year. Um, there were guys like Zach Levine and Jabari Parker before they got hurt. Otto Porter, I think, should still be in the conversation. He's having a great Kenneth year. Booker was my preseason pick, and he kind of hasn't been there. So, like, he's doing things, but not enough to be most improved this year. He'll probably be on the radar next year. Yeah, I think, yeah I think I think you're right. I think those two definitely will be where the the spotlight is shone. Exactly. Um, okay, so let's move on to our next award, Coach of the Year. Um, I still have Mike D'Antoni, though Scott Brooks is right behind him on his tail. Every game, really? every game that the Wizards win, I mean, I'm more and more impressed with Brooks. He's shown kind of a different side of him as a coach. Um, and so I, I've just been really impressed with the way they've turned things around. I mean, it was so e- it would be so easy for them after that terrible um, start to just, you know, pack it in and, you know, win 30, 35 games. But this team is on fire right now. And I, I've been really impressed with Brooks, his kind of involvement um, uh, in the team and co- how he's evolved as a coach. Um, but I still have D'Antoni just because the Rockets are still way ahead of what people expected them to win. Um, and usually that's kind of a good narrative for Coach of the Year, especially when you really can't give it a cur again. Popovich, he's always there, and the Spurs are having a great year. Yeah, especially without Timmy. Like, don't forget, look at all the new players on that team and all the aging players on that team. Yeah, and I think it's actually more interesting you think about it. Popovich will definitely get votes because he always gets votes. Um, Do you think, just ends up, and I'm not saying it will, if it ends up being Golden State and the San Antonio Spurs in a seven-game series, are you 100% confident that Pops can't come up with something to stop them? Um, they're, they're leading the league in defense. I am not 100% confident. I, I would think that the Warriors would win the series. 
Um, He'll put Kawhi on, on Kevin. You know that, right? Of course he will put Kawhi and on Kevin. Kevin Durant cannot stand being bodied. Oh, no. I, I think that Kawhi will present... Durant will struggle in that series for the most part. For probably... If it goes seven games, he'll probably struggle for four or five of them, really. Um, they've got Danny Green, another good defender they could put on Curry. Um, yeah. Patty Mills is always feisty. Um, the problem... Uh, What's my other boy's name that was in the uh, BBVA? Jonathan Simmons. Jonathan love Simmons. Him. Love Simmons. Love Simmons. Love, love, love. Um, Lowe is like the clone of Boris Dio. I have different guys on my list here. Uh, for Coach of the Year? Yeah. Okay, let's hear him. I mean, I knew you'd have Bantoni. Fly, fly your Rockets flag. And I appreciate that because I have people that I love on my Raptors so, and on my Thunder, so you know that. <laughs> so here's, here's the thing. Pops, we both agree on. I, I will caution and I'll wait till we get to the Wizards before I get into that. So I'll leave that for now. I think some of the ones you have to look at is simply because the same thing I said about Pops. Dealing with a roster that has a lot of turnover. And in his case, this one's case, uh, being a first-year coach is David Fisdale. Mm-hmm. I think you have to give him some consideration. I think what Brad Stevens is doing is impressive because let's not forget the fact everyone keeps pacing over this fact about Isaiah Thomas being an MVP and how he's fourth quarter scoring. Well, here, kids, when he's sitting on the bench, team scores 16 points less. Thank when you. they get to the playoffs, that's going to be a factor. What Brad Stevens is doing with that team, let's face it, this guy is like a savant, okay? Yeah. <laughs> The other person who I'm high on, really high on, and he won't get it, but I want to see him get some votes, is Mike Malone. Because yes. here's a guy that ha- he's, he's literally imp- imprinted on his team his identity. He's been able to figure out and assess which players he wants to move forward with, and he does it quickly. So at the beginning of the year, I was thinking, which te- like no other team could compare in my mind at the time because we hadn't really seen Surge and Embiid enough. But when you looked at that team with Nurkic and Jokic, you were like, they've got the best t- two young guys in the league, but they couldn't be played together, and that led to Nurkic sulking, and they had to get rid of him. So Mike Malone very quickly assesses what he needs. He got the best out of Jokic, and now he's got you know the offense running through him. He realizes what he has in Murray. And Saturday night was a sampling of what I told you, I think, when I was on the podcast before, about when the lights are on, Murray's not someone that goes, look at me, look at me. You see the absolute, absolute abject joy in what he's doing. Like, he was passing the ball a lot that night, if you notice. He got 10 assists as well, right? That kid delivers when the lights get brighter. So he knows what he has in that team, and he's been able to keep everything balanced. There's no chemistry issues there where there was before. Like, let's not forget, a year ago they were caught on the court planning their vacation. Yeah. (laughs) Right? That is true. So he doesn't take any guff from any of them. So I just hope his name gets mentioned. That's all. I just had to throw that out there. Yeah, I mean, he never should have been fired in Sacramento. But of course, we know the issues that Sacramento management has with running a competent NBA franchise. Oh, he, he loved him. Doesn't that tell you something? That should that should speak a lot more than it should, that it does really. If Bo- if Boogie okay. Cousins loves a coach, he should be getting Coach of the Year votes every year, basically. Just for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I completely agree with uh, Brad Stevens. I was going to mention him kind of in that mix for, you know, the top three. Um, I like Quinn Snyder and the injuries the Jazz have dealt with. I mean, 
it's incredible. George Hill's basically missed half the year. Derek Favors has missed almost half the year so far. See how much better they are with Hill? Was it you that I, I was on a podcast? I can't remember. I was trying to remember today before you called, whether it was your podcast or someone else's, where I mentioned how much better they are when George Hill plays. Yeah, they're so. I mean, yeah, and the fact that he's missed half the year and they're still thirty-five and twenty-two. They're ba- they're a half game behind the four seed Clippers. So um, I'd give Snyder some consideration, um, and of course Fizdale as well. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't pick Snyder because to me they are a great defensive team, but they still play at a snail's pace. Yeah. And although the playoffs will see that happen where you get into the half court set, for me he hasn't developed enough offensively yet to be in the consideration. Yeah, and that right? might that might. And I mean, I guess if I guess if Dallas ends up flying up the ladder and getting a seed, then you have to look at the old perennial guy, the Jim Carrey lookalike in Carlisle. Right? <laughs> Always got to look at Carlisle. We're He's... a shit team, but we're a very good shit team. <laughs> Always. That's a quote. That's a direct quote. I, I know. Always provides such a joy for the media. Um, there, are, yeah, there are a lot more candidates for Coach of the Year now as well. Um, still a lot in the mix. Of course, you still got. How base. surprising is that no one's been fired? Uh, I think we talked about this when I joined the uh, Thunderous Intentions live blog. That I thought uh, at the end of the year, Gentry should and I think will be fired if they finish. You know, maybe again they get fifty losses, maybe forty-five losses. They've got to fire him. I think that's not on Davis. That's on Gentry. I'm. You will. They're not. But they have to make Gentry the scapegoat because they're not going to get rid of Davis. Of course. <laughs> Usually, I mean, the the coach is the first guy to go if if something's not working out. I mean. They can make all the trades they want. Maybe they'll trade for Julie Local for I don't know why. Um, but maybe, maybe Gordon was was right about stuff there, though. I think it is management. Oh, there are certainly, and even some of the New Orleans Pelicans uh, uh, media members that I've I've seen on Twitter have have said that there is some truth to uh, what Gordon and even Anderson, to an extent, who usually stays pretty quiet, has said some murmurings of of you know being happy finally in Houston. So I think there's some serious problems with New Orleans management, but. That's a whole other issue. We could probably talk hours on because... Ryan Anderson was more demonstrative about it than Gordon. I was surprised Gordon said anything. Yeah, Gordon's usually really mellow, but when he's ta- when he's, yeah. when he's saying stuff like that, you know there's got to be something up there, but whole other issue there. Um, yeah. Let's move on to Defensive Player of the Year. This is an award that I'm kind of cheating on because I'm fine with two people for this award. <laughs> um, Rudy Gobert, I think, would still be my pick because I just like... I don't know. I just appreciate what he's done anchoring that really good jazz defense, which is tied for number two with the Warriors in defensive rating. Um, and they've had a lot of injuries to guys that are pretty good defenders too. So I just respect Gobert's, you know, kind of embrace that anchoring role on defense. I thought he should have been an all-star over Jordan, but that's a snub for another day. Um, but at the same time, I'm fine with Draymond Green just because his versatility guarding basically every position. Um, and, you know, the Warriors do have, you know, tie with the jazz for the second best defense Um Though I will say he he is playing with a, a much improved defender in Kevin Durant next to him, um, but just Draymond's versatility will probably get him more votes than Gobert. Uh, I think Gobert's still underappreciated, but I think I'd actually go with Gobert just for picking that kind of um, I don't want to say hipster pick, but you know under the radar kind of pick. Yeah, uh, I think I think Draymond's going to be hurt by his antics. It's and possible. Then he'll also get some votes just based on not getting votes years prior. I think we have to look at Kawhi Leonard again simply because the Spurs are number one defensively if that's where they finish. And this person's not going to get consideration, though I will say this. Last year before the trade deadline, this team was going on a nine-game road trip and they had lost. They were on a nine-game losing streak on the road at that point. And then they turned it around and I forget where they finished in the seedings, maybe six. But the Charlotte Hornets have lost. 
they're they're one in twelve in their last thirteen. Oof. Yet they remain a top seven defense. Michael K. Gilchrist is a plus two point four defensively. This kid, if this team was sitting in the top four in the Eastern Conference, everybody would be talking about him like he was the second coming of Kawhi Leonard, except that he doesn't score like Kawhi yet. Yeah, although he's improved on his offensive end. I love this kid. He's not going to win. I just have to give him props. Yeah, yeah. It's strange. The Hornet struggles are really strange. They actually have the 12th. Really I'm looking at the. They have the 12th best net rating, actually better than teams like the Hawks, the Pacers, the Thunder, the Bulls. Um, they have. It's just. It, it's a strange thing because you said they had the seventh best offense. They even have. 20th. They even. They have the 16th base, best. Think about that. Yeah, and, and even their offense isn't terrible. It's 16th, basically, basically league average. So it's not like they're you know seventh on offense, 27th and seventh uh, tw- in defense, 27th in offense. They're basically uh, league average or above on both ends. They have a positive net rating, and yet here they are um, sitting 24 and 32. Um, it's quite messy there, but um, you know. I think it's because they're so small. I will say that. Yeah, and they've missed Cody Zeller a lot. Like, oh, uh, hey. New props for Cody Zeller. I never realized that kid mattered as much as he does. I actually had that in my notes to say. That's funny you brought that up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, He they've missed him a lot. Didn't expect that coming into the season that Cody Zeller would be such a big difference maker for the Hornets. But, yeah, um, I agree. I think, I think Green will probably win. Honestly, I could see Kawhi finishing second and Gobert third. Honestly, just the way that, you know, people know more about Green and, and Kawhi. Um, <laughs> Kawhi, of course, is still elite defensively. Spurs have the best defense. Uh, Green's antics will probably hurt him with some voters, but I feel like the fact that he finished, I think he finished second in the past two seasons, they might feel like it's it's his time kind of thing, that kind of narrative. Yeah, yeah, and they tend to not want to keep giving it to the same player, hence why you don't see a lot of three-time MVPs, hence why you haven't seen Jamal Crawford when he could have won yearly or Pops win Coach of the Year yearly, so I agree with you on that too. Although I'd prefer to see Rudy win it as well because I'm sick and tired of the super team. Yeah, I, I prefer to see Rudy, Rudy as well. I think he's just done such a tremendous job in, in Utah, so... We'll see what happens. I think Green and, and Kawhi will probably surpass him just on name recognition, but, you know, that is what it is with the uh, media voting for the awards. And now, the most interesting award probably to discuss. Um, there's probably well, we're going to be on two sides of the fence on this one for sure. Of course. Um, <laughs> that's not that's not a new thing for me or pretty much anyone because it seems like any time you talk about MVP, someone else has, you know, their person that they're supporting. You're probably at least five good candidates for this award this season. No, I meant because you have Oh, no, I know that, but I'm saying, like, in general, you know, almost yeah, yeah. almost any time I see an MVP discussion on Twitter, I see each, like, almost each username with a different player they're supporting, basically. Um, Let me just take Isaiah Thomas off the list, though. Come on. You can't oh. have a team score 16 extra points when you're sitting and consider you an MVP. I'm sorry, you just can't. Oh, no, I don't, I don't, I do not even consider him for the top five, so... You can't. You just cannot. He's a great, great offensive player, extremely clutch in the fourth quarter, but... Sorry. I'm just gonna knock him on his butt the minute the playoffs start. He's gonna get injured or pull a groin, and it's gonna be all over. Like hello. Yeah, I, I mean, and I get the whole like the story is so great that you want to include him in MVP, but I can't. So sorry, Isaiah. Um, but there's still great candidates from you know LeBron, of course, KD, Kawhi, and then we of course we got basically the two front runners, Harden and Westbrook. Um, of course, I'm gonna choose Harden for now. 
Um, and I've, I know you're choosing Westbrook, so um, we could probably spend the rest of... I don't of... know if you put KD in that mix. I mean, I'll agree with you on LeBron simply because until they're not the champions anymore and until they're not on top of the East anymore, when he's had to deal with some players being injured, he has to remain in the mix of things. However... I would say that Harden and Westbrook are neck and neck at this point. Agreed. I disagree about KD because even though they're the winningest team, the fact that they have four superstars on the team and two great, like any team would die for, bench guys, to me makes it an unfair. It's like playing against an all-star team every night. I'm sorry. He does not get that. The only reason that Kevin Durant won the year that he did win is because he improved across the board and Russell spent part of it injured. So if you're going to place that as the reasoning behind why he got MVP that year, you cannot give it to him this year based on the fact that he has two superstars beside him and three if you count Draymond Green. Yeah. And a previous MVP finalist, right? Yeah. uh... So in in Iggy. So for me, he's not in in the consideration at all. Uh, I have him in the consideration <laughs> for one he's just having such an efficient year and of course that is helped by playing alongside guys like Curry and Thompson and Green um, and I agree that his supporting cast should hurt his candidacy um, but the other thing I want to give him credit for is just how much he's improved as a defender I mean he is I think he's blocking you know over a block and a half per game or he's averaging right. over a block right. and a half per game top five player in the league and put him on a team that finished first in defense the year prior and tell me their stats don't improve. I'm sorry. I'm not impressed. I am. I am. Sorry. I have to disagree. I am really, really impressed with Durant's during. Of course, I would have him probably at four or five. Probably. Let me see him do it in the playoffs and then, and then we'll talk. I mean, the, the thing with the MVP award, though, is the problem is that it's a regular season award. So a lot of the voters only care about what they see in the regular season. Um, and I think that'll hurt Durant just because of... I think that helps Harden because the year that Curry won his first, Harden should have won. Oh, yeah. I obviously agree with that. <laughs> but uh, I think that Durant will get votes. I think that he will probably finish... I think it, I think if I'm looking at it from the media perspective, I think that he'll finish fourth behind LeBron. Um, I think he'll still just get more votes than Kawhi, just because of you know his past uh, awards and his just name recognition as an unstoppable scorer and stuff like that. Realistically, in my opinion, I think I would probably have him at five on my ballot, maybe fourth at the best. But his supporting cast does kill his candidacy a lot. I, w- I wouldn't even put him top five. I put Steph ahead of him. Sorry, I would. Because Steph's going to have a great second half. I can see that. Yeah, he's already... And Steph is having to make the biggest... Everyone said it was going to be Clay that would have to adapt. Steph's the one that's had to adapt. Yeah, and he struggled with that for a little bit. Which also speaks to, if you think about it, there's a lot of narrative out there about the fact that Dwayne Wade had to change his game for LeBron because LeBron needs to be the alpha dog. It's very similar with Kevin Durant, but not in the same way. He's not an alpha dog in the way that he is like, bark, 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 I'm the leader. He's an alpha dog in wine, 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 I need to be the leader. Sorry, that's how I see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right now, right now you would have, what would be your top five right now? I have Westbrook one, and there's a very solid reason for that. Every time I think about this, as long as they remain in the playoff mix, they're now dealing without having their, their number two offensive guy with Cantor getting in a fight with a chair, right? <laughs> so you tell me, 
I mean, I, what Harden is doing is spectacular, and I love that he has uh, manipulated his game to showcase all these qualities. I love that he's trying on defense more nights than not. I love the pure joy he's bringing to the game, and they're doing really well. I do think that they get exposed when they play top teams more so than what we've seen because there's there's more of that coming down the road. But I'm impressed. I am. I don't know how the, how that will translate into the playoffs when people just shut him down or put two people on him. But I am impressed, so he is my number two. The reason that Russell is one is if I take Harden and put him on the Thunder and I take Russell and put him on the Rockets, I see Russell having better numbers and I see James having worse numbers and James having to do more. Um. So that's why Russell for me, because for me... What an MVP is, is a player, like when, look at what happens when, when Harden sits, they don't necessarily have any gap or regression. When Russell sits, they fall apart. No, that, so that me, is what, that's, yeah. that's, that's what separates them, one, two. Mm-hmm. Number three for me is because the Spurs are not a super team, Kawhi. Mm-hmm. Now, the four and five one is still very much up in the air for me, depending on where teams finish. Mm-hmm, yeah. So there's a bunch of players in the mix here, and it, it, John Wall has to definitely be in the conversation. Yes, has to definitely be in the conversation. Kyle Lowry has to definitely be in the conversation. I'm sick and tired of people disrespecting what that guy does. Mm-hmm. Like when their team is healthy, you will see. You will see in the last 25 games of the season when you have, and I'll, I'll wait once again till we get to the Raptors to expand upon that. But those right now, I, I can't put Kyle in the top five because of where they're sitting, but they, uh, he'll be back in the conversation. He won't win it, and neither will John Wall unless one of them finishes first. But I still think even if they finish, even if the Wizards or the Raptors finish first, I still don't think either Wall or, or Lowry would win. I think it's going to come down to James and, and Russell no matter what. Yeah, I have to agree. I think it comes down to those two. Um, barring anything... Imagine, though, if, if Russell surpasses uh, Oscar Robertson's 41 triple-doubles and averages it on the season, can you imagine not rewarding him MVP for that? Well, ironically, uh, Robertson didn't win it when he averaged the triple-double that season as well. Um, you sure about that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've heard that a lot, actually. But uh, I thought that he won that year and didn't win the next year. I'm not 100% sure. I know, I'm pretty sure one of the years he averaged, I think he didn't win that year. But again, that was the 1960s. This is 2017. But um, uh, so, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Kind of a lot of players in the mix for four and five. Four and five, really, we're just kind of, you know, kind of talking about them just to finish out the top five. It really only matters about the top three for the most part. Um, and I'd probably go, uh, right now, I'd probably go Harden. Um, really, I actually, I think Kawhi could sneak in at number two. I really am I'm really impressed with Kawhi's season this year. He's taken on a new role as a leader and a scorer, still providing elite defense. The Spurs are still, I think they're on pace for like 64, 65 wins after losing Duncan. Um, Gasol's been out. Um, he's got Tony Parker starting, and Parker's just really just not doing anything anymore uh, at this point in his career Ginobili can't really do anything anymore um, I've been really really impressed with Kawhi Leonard so again it depends you know if he wins the defensive player of the year he'll probably won't really get MVP because they're not going to give him both um, but again he might slip in defensive player of the year that kind of opens him up for MVP but I have to agree that it is kind of a two-man race at this point 
with basically two months to go between Harden and Westbrook. And then you are correct, by the way. Bill Bill uh, Russell won MVP sixty one sixty two. Yeah, yeah. I, I it was Russell. That's not, okay. I couldn't remember who won, but I remember. But he won. He won the next year. Yeah. So I remember hearing he didn't win it that year, but uh, it certainly is probably. Thankfully, it's an interesting race because last season Curry. Basically, in the eyes of everyone, won it by January, um, and then he ended up winning unanimously. So at least we have an interesting race with multiple candidates this year. It's kind of a nice storyline um, to to not talk about the Super Team Warriors for one second of any day. Um, well, that's enough with the uh, award front runners. I guess we can uh, keep updating them as the weeks go on, as we get closer to the end of the regular season. And now let's get into kind of our main segment of the show. It's going to be it's pretty ambitious, I must say. Um, it's kind of an all-star break special slash trade deadline special because they both kind of coincide basically at the same time. Uh, what I guess we'll do is go in order of the standing starting in the Eastern Conference and we'll talk about two things with each team. If they're trending up and da- up or down for both this season and the foreseeable future because um, obviously some teams are playing for the future while some teams are playing for now so their trending might be a little bit different. And then... Um, kind of trades question mark is the whole thing should they make trades and you know if so what should they try and do at the trade deadline um this thursday um so we'll spend more times in the playoff teams of course because those are probably the more interesting ones to analyze um and let's start off in the eastern conference the first team we shouldn't have to spend that much time about cleveland cavaliers um i have them trending slightly down just because of the injuries kind of make them vulnerable we don't know what love will be like when he returns um he's basically the four to six week timetable basically puts them like a week or two before the playoffs, but you know, they never really returned a hundred percent to those knee injuries for big men. Um, so I think the injuries make them a little bit vulnerable. That makes them slightly down. I'm not going to say fully down because it is LeBron James team that is still extremely talented, has great chemistry. They've been playing together for a while. Um, so I say slightly down on the Cavaliers trending. Um, and then in terms of trades, I know LeBron would love one as he's been saying quite a lot in the media. Um, but I'm not exactly sure what trade they could actually realistically pull off that increases their chances to repeat as champions. Um, of course, I don't want to spend any time talking about Carmelo Anthony um, getting traded for Kevin Love because I really don't want to hear about that anymore. Um, I don't really want to hear about anything about Carmelo Anthony related anymore, but that's I'm sick of that for sure. Um, that's the second storyline I'm sick of hearing besides the Golden State Warriors super team. Um, so I don't really see any possible trades that really improve the Cavs' chances of repeating versus the Warriors. So I'm not really sure that they should make any moves. Just stick it out. Hopefully they get uh, J.R. Smith back and fine. Hopefully Kevin Love returns 100% for the playoffs and just roll with what they've got because they still have, obviously, a great team. So what do you, how, how do you have the Cavs trending and any potential trades? I definitely have them trending down, and I might even go a little bit further than slightly simply because you're without J.R. Smith as well. You've mm-hmm. got Kyrie Irving, who has a propensity for also getting injured. And my thing is this. Yes, you're absolutely 100% right on the trades. LeBron wants a trade. LeBron wants a ball handler. But here's your issue. Their salary right now is $126,702,908 million, Okay? And the league cap, if I can pull the page back up here, the league cap is 94, eight, right? I think it's 94.1 million Mm -hmm. and the floor is 84.7 at 113 million is when you start playing luxury tax. So they're already 13 and a half million basically into the luxury tax. Okay. Yeah. So who can you really get? And the other factor here then becomes two things. 
and I'll just be quick about it. Basically, you're right. They either have to get someone who is not already signed, someone coming back from uh, uh, China, someone who gets waived. Uh, at one point, that could have been a player along the ilk of a Rajon Rondo, but now Chicago has seemingly worked him back into the mix. So I don't see them getting what they want, A. And B, the other reason why I have them going more than slightly downward is the factor of since they signed Kyle Korver, great, they've got their sharpshooter. But if you notice, the teams that are beating them and beating them soundly are running everything at him. Same with Channing Frye. Both these guys can get threes without problem. But they've, they've got an aging core, the oldest team in the league, and they've got guys that can't defend. Mm-hmm. So for me, that that's an issue. Yeah, and yeah. yes, they have LeBron James, but he can't do it all by himself. Exactly. Their defense is an issue for sure. Um, 20th. And, 20th. Yeah, that's, that's an issue for sure. Uh, and they have a lot more games on the road and out west. They didn't... Do you, you realize that their second road game out west came January eighth? I remember you uh, tweeted something along those lines. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Um, I think you know it's the injuries and the defense that'll be their downfall. The, we have to wait and see if they get healthy. I, I don't think they're gonna make trades though. You never know; someone could get bought out. Um, you know, they could just sign one of those free agent point guards that probably won't make a big difference, just to make please LeBron sign someone pretty cheap that won't make a huge difference overall. But really, they've just got to be healthy and increase their intensity, um, which they will in the playoffs, though LeBron's minutes could be a concern for them moving forward. But I think that's enough of talk on the Cavs. They are pretty much what we know they are at this point. A more interesting team, or the, the next couple teams are more interesting in the Eastern Conference, Boston Celtics sitting at 37-20. and 20. I have them trending up both for this season and the future, thanks to Brooklyn. 8-2 um, and two in their last 10. They're comfortably in that top three or top four in the Eastern Conference. Um, the way they're playing, they could honestly finish two, realistically. Um, in terms of trades, um, I think they need both a, a rim protector and a rebounder. Um, and they certainly have the assets. I'm kind of getting frustrated that, that you know the Celtics don't even try and really move on, on their assets because they have really good assets. Um, they obviously have the assets to swing for a star, but they even have the assets to swing for an, a nice role player. Um, and it was rumored that they're actually interested in Danilo Gallinari um, to probably come off the bench, like uh, replace Jonas Jarebko's role, uh, which could be a nice fit, but I don't see it really pushing them over the edge anytime soon. Um, I see that. I saw it on Twitter. I think it was Hoops um, Hoops Hype or Inside. Uh, was it the same one that had the Raptors linked to Gallinari too? I don't think. It just came out yesterday. I mean, I don't know. I saw it. It only reported the Celtics were interested. Um, I think it's the Nuggets placing those those rumors. I mean, because I don't. The, in Toronto, that same rumor is flying that the Raptors are interested in Gallinari. I don't see the, the benefits of Gallinari really pushing the Celtics over the edge against you know the Cavs it would be a nice move if they could do it for a low price but Gallinari doesn't really excite me in terms of the Celtics I'd rather them get a, a rim protector and a rebounder because that's what they really need um, overall so how do you have the Celtics trending in any possible trades I kind of have them status quo if not trending a little bit down and my reason is that Horford, as much as he's been good, hasn't done anything to help them at the rim or in terms of rebounding. I think he's definitely helped them from a chemistry perspective. But I think that they're a team that maybe have peaked too early. Mm. Well, we shall see. Now, as far as your comments about the future, absolutely. But I'll throw this out there. 
I wonder if Danny Ainge has hurt himself by shafting so many teams. And it's not just Brooklyn that he shafted. If you look at the Rondo trade to the Mavs, he's he's pulled a bunch of these trades where he had all the cards and he made sure that he took it to the team that he traded to. Now, it's one thing to pull a Maasai or a Sam Presti type move where it's just a smart move and the players that you trade don't mesh with the, the team that gets them, right? Mm-hmm. It's another thing to absolutely just gore the team that you're going to and what he did to Brooklyn. Like, that was just, I, I think a lot of GMs just don't want to work with him. I also, because other, you know, yeah. like, and I mean, the one player that obviously isn't going to end up there, which would fit there, would be Boogie, but the Kings are adamant they're not going to trade him. And the other one maybe is Jimmy Butler, but then if you bring Jimmy Butler there, that doesn't help your situation with what your needs are or Okafor who again doesn't get you rebounding or rim protection so I think his hands are kind of tied the only difference is that this year with all these assets in a deep trade uh, or a deep draft those assets become more valuable like if you look at last year all the picks they had and he couldn't pull one trade to do anything with them speaks to what the other GMs are maybe thinking about Ainge. This season, however, as I said, it's a deep draft, but how many teams are really desperate for a point guard? Not that many. Yeah, I think, I mean, if I'm Ainge, I'm on the phone trying to get Butler because, honestly, I would trade that Brooklyn 2017 first-round pick. The Bulls could use a point guard. Um, And you couple that Brooklyn 2017 pick with, you know, a young player and then another, you know, salary filler uh, or two, and that could be enough to get Butler, and I think that changes things a little bit. And then you could probably swing another deal for a rim protector or a rebounder that's a little bit cheaper, um, maybe like a Taj Gibson. Um, they just have so many assets that I, I want to see them at least, you know, use some of them to at least get a rim protector or rebounder. If they don't make any trades at all, I'm going to be disappointed in Ainge. And of course, maybe it is that kind of whole thing about the GMs not really wanting to, you know, work with him. Um, but I they, don't think I don't think Boston gives a team in their own conference, Jimmy Butler, on the hopes and prayers that a player, because Jimmy Butler is arguably a top seven, top ten player in the league. So you're taking a chance, a chance that you get the number one pick and that that player turns out to be a superstar. Yeah, it is risk. That's a big big risk to take. It is a big risk to take, and that's why I don't think it'll happen. But if I was the Celtics, I'd be trying for it, obviously. And if I'm the Bulls, I'm considering it. I'm just going to consider it because... I think it's more likely, not that I think this will ever happen, I think it's more likely if Butler was to get traded, it would be for someone of his own ilk. So what Andrew Wiggins for Jimmy Butler, as much as everyone thinks that Tibbs wants him, I know Tibbs loves Wiggins, so that's probably not going to happen. But that's, that's where I see something more like that happening. I don't think they give him away for pick alone yeah they, they won't do it for picks alone i would probably think that it would take a, a brooklyn pick um another pick that's probably boston's own and then maybe a guy like jalen brown or marcus smart and then another player maybe like a jay crowder something that would be marcus smart like overrated or what like i've seen him play a bunch of times and it's some games he gets away with it and some games he doesn't i don't think he's as good as he's being hyped up to be i don't know he's kind of in the same book with me as Patrick Beverly, more of an agitator than an actual player. I think Smart has some potential. Offensively, he struggles. He can't shoot at all, really. Brutal. And uh, but defensively, he's pretty good. And uh, a lot of GMs love him, so he could probably he could probably play a big role in a trade for a, a biggest flopper in the league. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's move on to a team that's also pretty interesting and also one that I, I 
think what you just pointed out about the Celtics, a team that might have might be peaking early, I think, is possible at least. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, the Wizards, I obviously I have them trending up. It's kind of hard not to. I there are concerns about them peaking early, but still, based on what we've seen since December first, I'm pretty sure they still have the best record in the Eastern Conference since December first. Um, I have them trending up for that reason. Their future is pretty much, you know, it's going to run the course. They don't have, um, they don't really have cap room. They don't really have, you know, their, their draft pick's not going to be very good either. Um, so I'm not going to say they're trending up for the future, but I'm not going to say they're trending down because this team is obviously good. Um, now the question is with trades, they certainly need a bench piece. Um, and I, they, they just came out with a rumor today. Bench piece? <laughs> yeah, they need at least two, but realistically, four. realistically they need... And it's a miracle that Bradley Beal's been able to stay healthy. Thank, I'm also happy for him, too, another player that has struggled. I like Otto Porter. I don't, I'm not a fan of Beal, and I'm just waiting because he's all talk. And he's a great player, granted. I just don't like his personality. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have them turning up. I, I don't I, because they have two huge. When you consider what the Raptors went through when they came back after that 12,000-mile 12, 12, trip, and how long it took them to recover. The Wizards have two five-game Western Conference road trips still to come. Mm-hmm. Wow. And they have not played as well on the road. Granted, that was before they clicked. But are they going to get through to the end of the season playing these guys as much as they are? They're playing their starting unit more than any other team in the association. That is certainly a concern, especially for the guys like Bradley Beal. Um, and even Wall, like wear and tear can just kill him for the playoffs. So... That is a concern. That's why they need bench pieces. Um, they've been rumored to, for interest in Lou Williams. I think that would be a, a great fit for them. They said today, I saw it on Twitter, that they're willing to trade a first-rounder either this Good. year Go or or next year. The reason we lost to them four straight. <laughs> Go get Perfect. I think they could also target Will Barton because the Nuggets have an, a surplus of guards there as well. well I, I hope they go get Lou Williams because it'll ruin their team. I think that... It depends. It depends. Lou Williams in the right atmosphere. Do you not remember when they traded Lou Williams to to L.A. and how he won sixth man of the year? And he called and had his agent call Masai and said, we're getting this offer, but I want to come back to Toronto and I'll take less money. And Masai was like, no, go ahead. (laughs) Seriously. He came into the locker room after they kept losing and was like, it's okay. Don't worry about it. To the young players. Well, I mean, I, he, so, I... He's a great guy, very laid back. He's got the wife and the girlfriend, but the, he was very bad for team chemistry and the whole mindset, which is why teams don't consider him... Like a Jamal Crawford, fine. Neither one of the neither one of these guys are defenders, but Jamal Crawford is a quality character piece. Mm-hmm. Lou Williams is not that. I'd also like... I mean, I like would love to see Will Barton... Uh, on the Wizards. He's got a little bit more character. Um, and he's playing really well. Um, maybe not as well as Lou Williams off the bench, but he's cer- certainly playing really well in Denver. And, you know, as I mentioned, Denver has a surplus of guards. And another thing for the Wizards, they need to get Jan Mahimi healthy. Um, boy, what a disaster first year in that big contract. But if he could stay healthy, maybe by the end of the, by the time the playoffs roll around, he's a good rim protector, solid rebounder, doesn't, uh, will force them to not play Gortat so many minutes, and Gortat's like 32, so you don't want to play him 30, 35 minutes a game. Um, so we'll see, because they are willing to trade a first rounder, so I think they'll probably do the same thing they did last year when they traded for Markeith Morris, um, and Morris has been, is, has been good, it didn't get them to the playoffs. He's been really good. I like 
Sadarinsky, Thomas Sadarinsky too. Yeah, he could be included in a trade potentially, depending on which kind of player they're targeting, or if they make more than one love, move. Love, love, Otto Porter. Ugh, love Otto Porter. Really, he's he. Sh- if it weren't for Giannis and Jokic, uh, Porter would be getting a lot of serious consideration for most improved. But unfortunately, he's getting. And with the dearth, I mean, let's face it, the position that everyone's going to be talking about, and probably what one of my sixteen articles will be about that I've gotten partially crafted is the dearth of small forwards in the league when everyone was talking about the dearth of point guards and then it was the dearth of power forwards small forward is the position that's going to be the one that every team is seeking and for me that makes him extremely valuable yeah he's gonna get a lot of money in the offseason but he's now is he overperforming because it is a contract season is he one of those players you just it's so hard to tell sometimes i don't believe so because i just his, his work ethic has been so praised um, and I think that this is something that he can maintain because he's not like he is a third option basically. So he'll probably you know the Wizards will probably match his deal, so he'll come back to Washington. He's leading the league in three point efficiency. Yeah. How do you go from being the shot to a full MVP to being like that? It's really such an incredible I, turnaround. Hello. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, I'm hoping that it's not just a contract year thing. And you know he's worked really hard, so you know maybe this could, could just be the trend for him moving forward as a as a really good third option on, on a, a team like the Wizards, or you know he probably won't leave the Wizards. I wouldn't let him leave, but you never know. Um, let's move on to the Toronto Raptors. I want to give you time to talk about them because you obviously know about them and follow them a lot, so you probably have a, a good amount to say. Um, they were trending a little bit down, but now with the Ibaka trade, I have them trending up because it was such a great deal for them. Um, what they had to give up, Terrence Ross, nice player. You know, nothing to really write home about in terms of when you're trading for a guy like Serge Ibaka. Um, and the first round pick, you know, it's not going to be that good. So, you know, you, you first, you know, drafts are so hit or miss. You don't really know what you can get in the draft. Um, and with the Magic they front up. They still first round pick. Yeah, they we traded. Have, we have the higher one. Yeah, and they traded to a Magic front office that I don't have a lot of confidence in with their drafting um, all the time. And that's a whole other mess when we get to the Magic. We can talk about them. Um, look at, look at what the Magic gave up to get Serge Ibaka, and then what they got him, and how I, it's time for Rob Henning and the Magic GM to go, um, but that's a off-season issue that will hopefully be resolved for Magic fans. Um, all right, so I, I'll bring you up to speed now on what's going on with the Raptors. All, all right. right. So first of all, even though they were losing, you have to recognize that more than half of their losses came without Patrick Patterson, who, although the stats don't necessarily show it per se, he is, he was, prior to this trade, the top defender on the team. Mm-hmm. So you lose that, and then that affects, on top of it, you were without DeMar DeRozan for a good portion of those games. So you were without your top offender, offensive player, and your top defensive player. Then, on top of that, more than half of the losses, they lost by three points or in overtime. Mm-hmm. So... As much as there was all this narrative out there about the Raptors like completely falling apart, yeah, they were frustrated and and, and they lost three games that they the the two minute report came back and said oh, we made mistakes because the Memphis game uh, Marcus All got touched on the hip and went to the line and Kyle and Demar both got clobbered with no calls. The last game um, against Detroit when Demar got hit and the shirt was pulled and no call. Like, there were several games like that that happened. So they were getting very frustrated with the whistle. They just need to shut up and play. Mm-hmm. And Toronto has always 
kind of been had this mentality of, of us against the world to begin with. They need to get back there. So you're going to see a huge uprise from Toronto. First of all, the versatility of this team is going to be sick, but it's a three-pronged sword, and this is my first piece that will go up on 16, which is it's not just about Ibaka. Let me just throw this out there. So now you put Ibaka in the starting lineup, and you've got Kyle and Damar in the backcourt. You've got Damari Carroll, who finally is starting to show signs that he's coming around, and when you have a defender beside him like and Ibaka, suddenly he gets better. Then you put Ibaka in the lineup with Jonas, who can play the post, which means that Ibaka doesn't have to constantly be in blocking shots and protecting the rim. However, consider this. At the beginning of the season when the team was healthy, when they were doing so well, they were also three of the top five defensive lineups, and that included mostly bench players with Lowry. So now you can trot out Kyle Lowry, move Ibaka to the center, Patrick Patterson, the best defender to the power forward, and with the two and the three, you have options with Damari Carroll, Norman Powell, DeLon Wright, Corey Joseph, all of which are decent defenders, Mm -hmm. if not above average defenders, and you can pepper in DeMar there. This team is going to take massive leaps forward. Having said that, I still would like to see them to pick up one more piece. And just remember that I said DeLon Wright is going to like open eyes league-wide, okay? Mm-hmm. DeLon Wright played small forward the other night, and he's a he's like um, of the same kind of nature of a Sean Livingston, like that kind of herky-jerkiness, uh-huh. but he can also shoot, and he's so smart. Eric, mm-hmm. he's so smart, and he's such a good defender. He, he had two steals off of Batum. Who's how much taller than him? Uh, but he, literally, what, six, he literally won the game for them the other mm-hmm. night. Him, Kyle, and Damari. And that was before Ibaka's on the team and Patterson's back. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, their defense is going to improve. They're going to finish top 10 in the league defensively, if not close. And they're going to refine their offense again. I'd love for them, and I'll tell you, the, to get one player to add some depth. And the player I want them to add is Alfredo Camino. Mm, oh yeah, I saw you tweeted about him. He's uh, he's having a nice year. He would fit really well there as well. Um, you know what I love about him? You know when you uh, watch hockey and there's these guys that are like, you know, they're consistent. They play all year, but they don't score a lot of goals. And then as soon as the playoffs hits, they're the guys leading the goal scoring. That's <laughs> that's the type of player Al Farouk is. Mm-hmm. His numbers go up in the playoffs. He, he improves in rebounding, and he he's like Batum in that, that Swiss Army knife kind of thing. He does everything well. His numbers are down a bit on three-point shooting this year, but that's more a factor of their defense being so bad and their front, front court being dilapidated. Now, when you've got Neil O'Shea with the second richest salary in the league, he's got to do something. And, you know, as you pointed out either in a tweet or some notes that I saw that you made uh, about their front court – having issues and, and the trade they made not really addressing it, right? Yeah. With Nurkic. Um, I think they're gonna they're gonna wanna do something and, and they may not be willing to part with Aminu, but they might if it comes with at the right price. The Raptors still have, and to your point about the Raptors sending this trade to the magic, how great is it that gravy, I call him the gravy train. <laughs> Grievous Vasquez brought Toronto Norman Powell and basically Serge Ibaka. Yeah, and and Vasquez, I don't think is playing in this he's year. He's not. He's released <laughs> by the Nets. So there, there you go. There. Like, hello. 
Yeah. Besides the magician. Yeah. So. So we don't really need any more assets. We have four guards that can play. Fred Van Vliet is like a clone of, of Kyle Lowry. Yeah. Yeah. They still have assets. That's what I like about the the Raptors and position. Bruno was actually growing defensively in the D League under Jerry Stackhouse's tutelage, mm-hmm. and they've got Axel Tupain, who that's that might be what happens. They might wait till the trade deadline passes and then wave. Uh, Van Bleet and tell him we're going to sign you with the two-way contract next year and bring Axel Tupain up, which mm-hmm. would be good. Yeah, they have they have certainly have assets. They obviously have a great team now, and we yeah, have all of our draft picks through twenty twenty, and we're the third youngest team in the league. Everyone keeps forgetting that. I don't know if Ibaka shifts that narrative, but I don't think so. Yeah, I mean he's listed as twenty seven, so he's not exactly old, depending on if that's Ross exactly is what twenty five. I think Ross was twenty five, so maybe increases a little so bit. Maybe, maybe Maybe now they're the fifth youngest, but you get my point. Yeah, but yeah, I really expect their defense to improve. I love the Ibaka trade. That's why I have them trending up. Um, and like you, you mentioned, they still have assets. They still have room to grow, really. When, once this team you know, starts clicking after a couple weeks of playing together, by the time the playoffs come around, they're going to be a serious threat. No one wants to play a team that has such a potential for such great defense. Um, and of course, they still have great offense. So they're good on both yeah. ends. They will be good on both ends um, by the time the season ends, of course. Let's yeah. move on to the Atlanta Hawks, right behind them, 32-24. and 24. I have them down, trending down, because I don't see a path for contention for this team. They're just stuck, really, in the Pull middle. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. It's very much like they're not going to with uh, Mike Budenholzer saying that they're Millsap staying. I still would sell on guys like Cephalosha. I think Hardaway Jr. is expiring. I don't know if they have him in their plans, depending on what they want to do with him. But I think I agree. I'm pretty sure they do. I think they should blow it up. They probably won't. And there's a good chance Millsap leaves anyways, and they'll have the same situation that happened to them with Horford. Um, there's no path for contention for this team, which is why I have them trending down. So I would blow it up. They're probably not going to. But, uh, you know, we don't have to spend too much time on them. But if you want to... Yeah, they made all the wrong decisions. They decided to, to go with... Um, what's the kid's name? Schroeder as their, as their point guard because... Teague was a cancer. They decided to like publicly tell everyone they were shopping Millsap in a last minute ditch out. That was terrible. That was terrible. Yeah, I mean, blow it up. They yeah, and they probably won't, but they should. Um, yeah. yeah, there's no point because this this is a team that's just stuck. That's just they're just stuck right here, it's the middle of the pack of the playoff race. If they don't avoid that four or five matchup, they're gonna get eaten alive by the Cavs like they have in the past two years, and then they're gonna be stuck with the same situation with Millsap as a free agent. Cephalosha is a free agent. You might as well trade them to get something back. But, of course, they probably won't listen to most people um, and be stuck in this kind of same path of mediocrity for the next couple of years. Even if- query, query, do you think that they would be willing to trade Millsap to Boston and have that Horford and Millsap reunited to get the picks? You know, depending on what Boston offers them, I, I, I think they should probably see no problem trading to a team that's in the conference above them. They already traded Corver to the Cavs. They probably would just be like, you know, if Boston gives them a good offer, I don't know what that offer would be. Millsap is, was he like 31, 32 now? 32. I'd like to see him go to OKC personally, but that's just me. Yeah, um, that'd be kind of nice actually. Um, but again, that contract, you're going to have to give Millsap a max, and that's probably going to be a concern in a couple of years when he's not, you know, this good. Um, they can afford to do it with that, that young group in, the, in, in uh, OKC. Yeah. That's, that's where I think he fits perfectly. Yeah, but the problem is, uh, do they have enough assets? But yeah, we can talk about that. We can talk about OKC when we get to OKC. Yeah, I guess, but it depends what they want to, you know, how they view paying Millsap, who would probably be 36 at the end of that max. 
uh, 30 million a year. That's going to be a tough contract to eat, no matter if it's in Atlanta or if it's, you know, somewhere else. But I think we both agree the Hawks should blow it up and they probably won't. So that's a shame on them. But uh, let's move on to a really weird team, the Indiana Pacers. It's one week they're up, the next week they're down. I think they've lost six straight. Um, they're... They won seven straight and they went into the All-Star break losing six straight. <laughs> it's really weird. Uh, they're 29-28. and 28. I have them down because I have the same reason as the Hawks. Basically, I don't see a path for contention. Um, you know, they just came out like a couple days ago that they're shopping a first-round pick in this year's draft to get help for Paul George. But at that point, what what would you After get? George came out and I, I, What would you get with that first-round pick that really changes anything? I, I don't see how they could improve enough to avoid being. I think what are they now? The uh, Six seed, seven seed, six seed, um, and they'll probably get a first round elimination. And then if they move up into the four five, they're gonna, you know, if they win that series somehow, they get eliminated by the Cavs in the second round. So I have them down because of the same reason of that lack of path of contention for the Pacers. Um, and you know they need some front court depth, um, but I don't know what they would get for that first round pick, and if that even changes anything for them moving forward. Anyways, I think this is a perfect example of a, a superstar who a team has acquiesced to and done everything that they've wanted, and it's always hurt the team. So you go back to uh, Paul George and his off-court dalliances with Roy Hibbert's fiance, which blew up the team that the previous years was competing and very close to upsetting Miami. Mm-hmm. And so they get rid of him. Now, mind you, he's never risen to that. It once again shows George Hill's leadership because he was the one that – steadied that room then they trade away all of their defense other than miles turner who is very good but he's still a year or two away from being great george to me is the same kind of situation as jimmy butler they're both superstars but they both can't share the spotlight yeah they, they need so much on this team they need toughness they need grit they need bench depth and then anyone that you get that has any of those things will george work with them yeah I don't see them making any moves that would even change anything for them. Uh, another, most likely, first-round elimination, and they're still stuck with kind of, you know, where do we go from here, kind of like the Hawks. So that's why I have them trending down both this season and for the future. Um, yeah. Let's move on to Jimmy Butler's team, the Bulls. Um, I have them trending down as well, um, mainly because that front office does not know what it's doing. And, you know, um, they traded away Rose and... Um, Noah, oh no, Noah went as a free agent. They traded Ray Rose, and people are like, oh, maybe they're going to go for a rebuild. And then they bring in Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo. Um, everyone knew the team wasn't going to be able to shoot. You know, there were seriously some concerns. Of course, we had the Rondo fiasco for a couple of weeks in the season. Um, this is a team that's almost surely eliminated in the first round. Um, and a team that I'd like to see get young players or picks for their veterans. Um, they have a lot of young players, though. Here's the issue with them, Eric. Uh did you not think going into the season that Hoiberg was probably on the hottest seat of anyone in the league to get fired? I felt that. I, I mean, I felt bad for him because I don't think it's completely his fault. But yeah, I did no, feel. No, he's, he's the puppet. Yeah. He's Gar Foreman's puppet. Yeah. The fact that Butler can come out two years in a row and say negative things about the coach, the problem is he is the puppet of the management and what, what he wants to do, he can do with the young assets he has. But then, as you said, they went out and got Wade. They went out and got Rondo. And they will not run the system that Hoiberg wants to run. It's so confusing. I, I don't understand what the front it's office is doing. Too. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. They just, you know, it seemed like they wanted to sign Wade and Rondo to just, you know, 
parade them to the casual fans in Chicago and be like, look, we got some flashy signings here. Come and watch our team, of course. Um, but it's just, it's not going to win. Um, if the Cavaliers had assets, I'd say for a fact that they would go and get Dwayne Wade, but they don't have the assets that Cleveland wants, or that's what that would happen. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen either. But uh, I'd like to see them trade Taj Gibson because he's been really good in all of this. Um, I think it was Zach Lowe who like mentioned him in one of his articles, saying that Gibson's just been uh, you know a, a really good teammate, just been you know dealing with the trade rumors and the, and the tension in the locker room. I'd like to see Gibson be traded somewhere. Um, True, but he's injury prone and he doesn't really spread the court in his position. Yeah, you, if you're trading for Gibson at this point in today's NBA, you have to play him at center because him at power forward you know can kill an offense because he can't space the floor and basically. Again, the fit for that would be Minnesota. Yeah, and but they have Gorgie Dang who's developing, so why do that? Exactly. Yeah, that really wouldn't make that much sense, anyways. But uh, Dang, I guess it is. Yeah, um, moving to a team that's been, you know, started some interesting rumors on the trade deadline. The Detroit Pistons, um, who, you know, before we get to the how I think them trending, it came out. I think it was Mark Stein who had it over the weekend that. Uh, they're shopping Reggie Jackson and uh, – oh, no, it was Zach Lowe who actually mentioned it in his article on Friday. They're shopping Reggie Jackson and Drummond. Now, that is a blockbuster. Um, apparently, the the hot rumor was that they're really close or they were close to shipping Jackson to uh, Orlando for DJ Augustine and Jeff Green, which is quite a head-scratcher uh, in my opinion. doesn't really – I don't see that you know benefitting Detroit and maybe – Cancer in the, in the locker room. But there's – Jackson. Jackson. Is there? I mean, I'm not a huge Reggie Jackson fan, but he, I mean, is there no way you can get better than Augustine, who's been pretty good this season, and Jeff Green, who's just nothing really? I mean, he's just... I, I don't know how much I believe that they're shopping Andre Drummond. I think that that's just to get the phones to ring. To be honest with you, yeah, I can agree with that. I, I, I can, I, I can see them like dropping that as as bait. For me, though, I, I fully believe the Reggie Jackson rumors because if he could ever, if he could live up to his own words, then he would be something special. But even if you go back to last season, there was many games where he was actually the reason why they didn't do well in closing clutch situations because he didn't follow orders or do what was the smart thing to do. So you go back to the Heat team that, you know, unceremoniously fired him the year that they won the championship with Wade and Shaq. Mm-hmm. And it was Jason Williams and Gary Payton that were the, the that played the backup uh, to Jason Williams as point guards. You go back to the Magic team, it was Jameer Nielsen. Stan Van Gundy has a real penchant for uh, what I would call old-style point guards. Mm-hmm. The, the point guard that would be perfect for that team would be Malcolm Brogdon. Mm-hmm. And now, Ish Smith... I can tell you right now, other than the referees not calling that foul with DeRozan at the end of the game, the only reason that they came back in that game was because of Ish Smith. Whenever Jackson was on the court, we were just eating him alive. So, yeah, I think they're definitely shopping him, and I'm just not sure many teams are going to be interested. Yeah, and maybe a desperate team, hence the Orlando Magic, would just, you know— Take a the fly on Reggie Jackson and just see what what they can do with him because the Magic really don't have um, anything else really going on for them. Um, but Peyton hasn't turned out to be what they want, although there's been the signs. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. The front office is desperate because Hennigan probably knows Hennigan knows he's on the hot seat, so maybe he thinks that's you know getting a trade for Jackson and just being look. I got Reggie Jackson. He's played a little bit better when he comes to Orlando. I don't know. It's probably a desperation move, but yeah, I I just I, I agree with you that. The Drummond trade will most likely not happen. I can't see them trading Drummond. There's been some concerns among Pistons, you know, fans and analysts that he hasn't really grown to what they wanted. But still, trading Drummond when he's 22, 
I mean, it, you know, it would really depend on the package. And at that point, why shake up the team that much? I mean, yeah, I can't imagine that. And Orlando needs to go and get Bledsoe. Yeah, Ooh, I actually have another team that I would love. I would love to see Bledsoe on, but that's when we get to the Western Conference. Um, let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks. They're twenty-five and thirty, sitting on the outside of the playoff picture, looking in. Trending up, um, you know, maybe not up for this season necessarily, but really the thing with this team is the future, and they've got a crazy young and talented core. Um, but the injuries are plaguing them, of course, with Parker. We don't know if Parker will ever come back to what, what he was this season. Um, and, you know, there are other injuries. Middleton was injured. He just came back. Um, so the injuries. I'm surprised he came back so fast, aren't you? I know, I know. I was a little. He tore it right off the bone, the hamstring right off the bone. I know. I, I was a little bit concerned when I heard he was coming back so quickly, but they know they know more than us. That's all I'm gonna say. I kind of hope they get the eight seed, just so they can get some experience for Giannis. Yeah, I would love for them to get the eight seed. Um, I wouldn't confident confidently say they will, but I would love for them to get some playoff experience. It'd be great for this team. But really, it's all about the future. They got, you know, they have such a great young core, and just they got to hope that the injuries don't keep plaguing them. That's really what the big deal is. Um, yeah. And I don't see them making any more trades. They already made that trade. They actually were probably very happy to get rid of Miles Plumley and his terrible contract. Um, and all the Plumleys are overrated. I'm sorry. Yes, they all, especially yeah. And Miles is Miles is just not good. Like, let's be real here. And they gave him that really bad contract in the off season. It was great of them. Marshall's probably the worst, but Miles is much better. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's saying something really. Um, but it, I'm not a fan of Mason either. So there you go. I'm not a huge fan of Mason either, but he's clearly the best out of all three of them. Which is, I guess, not saying that much either. Again, but uh, um, and they got Hibbert and Hawes back in return. Pretty much nothing, Yikes. no big deal for them there. They really all they cared about was getting rid of Plumley's contract because that is a horrible contract. And they just want to have the ability to get rid of them in open cap space. Exactly. So that was fine with that deal for the Bucks' perspective, and they don't really need to rush a playoff push. It would be nice to get experience, but no real reason for them to go crazy with trades yeah, to make the playoffs. Yeah, they don't do anything crazy. You're right. Exactly. Um, a, a team that's gotten really interesting because of that huge 13 game winning streak, the Miami Heat. 25 what the hell is Pat Riley doing? I, I, I said he was purposely trying to tank, and then he goes and pulls this nonsense. <laughs> Who knows, really? Um, and how good is Eric Bolster as a coach that this doesn't prove to everybody how good he is and nothing will? So, I, I, really, I know. People still doubt him, and I don't know what else he has to do besides suit up on the court himself to win games. I mean, he is doing a great job this season with such limited talent. And they even had some injuries before early on in the season. Um so, and other than Carlisle, is there a better coach in the league at getting malcontents to, to perform? I don't if you think look so. at it, think about it. Saw Whiteside played for Memphis, played for the Raptors, tried out for all these teams, but nobody could could deal with his, his issues, his head issues, right? Yeah. Same with Waiters, same with James Johnson in Toronto. Like, hello? <laughs> Spolster is like the magician. It's like the land for the misfit toys. Yeah. And the thing with the Heat, though, is that early on in the season, it was easy to see their path moving forward. You know, tank, get a top pick. You get a good player, hopefully, in the draft, and you open I'm up not some. For sure, that's what they were doing, Eric. Exactly. And now that's really complicated because now their draft pick isn't going to be good enough to get that kind of franchise level player. Um, and the, we still have questions about if they're going to be a free agent destination. We know Pat Riley loves to have cap space for free agency, but we don't know if that's going to work out anymore. You know, they have some. I still think, I still think they're going to go on a nosedive. I just, I don't know. I know that they don't want to do it, and I know it's not in their vernacular, either Spolster or Pat Riley, not to win, but something tells me. I just, I just can't see it. I just, why would you throw away that opportunity? It makes no sense. And the thing, that's the thing, because it was clear early on in the season 
that, you know, they had some injuries, but they just weren't playing well, and they were obviously in the running. They were at one point in the running for that top pick, and then obviously Brooklyn completely is just terrible, and the Heat started winning games. Um, and it's hard now at this point. Um, you know, I still don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but, you know, the eighth and kind of seventh seed in the Eastern Conference is just not good, so they still have an outside shot at the playoffs, which, again, doesn't really help them because, you know, they've got Dragic and Whiteside. Those are good two pieces right there. Maybe you can attract them by saying, hey, we have a great coach in Spolstra. We've got Dragic here. we got Whiteside here. Come to Miami. It is Miami. You know, you'll... Well, they got Tyler Johnson. they got Josh Richardson. Justice, they, got, they even have Justice, Justice Winslow. Winslow yeah. when he gets back, you know. Now, mind you, they've got a lot of tough games coming up. Yeah. And, and, and against against the Eastern Conference, right? Mm-hmm. They, they come out of the break, and they have to like, initially they don't get killed, but they've got two games against Cleveland, then they've got Toronto. They've still got a West Coast trip to make. Another game against Toronto, Boston, Detroit, Nuggets, Toronto, Cavaliers again. Two against Wizards. That's a lot of games against playoff seeded teams that are upper echelon. Yeah, and we'll have to see what happens with them because at this point, even if they were to just completely collapse, I mean, they're not that far back from the bottom of the Eastern Conference standings, but at this point, it's going to be, I think it's just going to be straight up hard for them to collapse with the way that Spolstra coaches and just how how much he has these guys playing hard. Um, You know, they could still sell a guy like James Johnson for a draft pick or something because he's been playing well. Um, the, The whole point of them is really... I would it'd be better for them to, you know, quote unquote tank or just lose games, um, and then have What's the salary off the top of your head. Was it three million or was it more? I think I don't think it's more than four, but I I think you know I think it is around four, maybe three. Let's see if I can find it while we're talking. Um, and yeah, and then another thing is just that they don't want to take in a lot of salary to you know to get maximum cap space for free agency because they still obviously Pat Riley loves attracting guys to Miami even if it doesn't always work that's kind of one of their biggest goals as well but a seriously more interesting team with their 13 game winning streak which is certainly complicated yeah, things only 4 million 4 million yeah and so he's an unrestricted free agent this coming summer yeah so. and teams will take him because he's having a good year they could probably get you know I wouldn't mind Toronto taking him back to be honest with you because he does so much yeah he's been yeah, he's had some. He's had a good year. They could probably swing him into a, a a player or a pick, or depending on what they want to do there and which teams are interested. But uh, let's move on to what we talked about before: the very disappointing Charlotte Hornets, twenty four and thirty two. Um, I've got them trending trending down because it's just so disappointing. Um, and it, we talked about it before. We don't have to spend too much time because we did already touch upon them a little bit. Their actual their numbers aren't aren't bad. Seventh best defense, sixteenth best offense. Um, we mentioned it before. The twelfth best net rating ahead of teams like the Hawks, the Pacers, and um, you know the Bulls in front of them. Even the Heat, who we just talked about. Um, it's just such a weird situation there because you know they came off forty eight wins last year. Um, I expected them to you know get forty five ish. You know be. <laughs> I had them at like five, I think, and I, I, yeah, I was four or five. I think you and I had the podcast about it. Yeah, and I, I don't know what to do with and this Hornets team. He's one of the few coaches that can do both ends. Okay, two quick questions: Do you now, given how Frank the Tank performed, Kaminsky in the in the uh, BBVA, and how he's performed the last couple of games down the stretch, even though they were losing, do you now shop Frank the Tank and or? Do you think that maybe this team is going to do the chameleon thing they did last year, which is all of a sudden snap and they end up finishing sixth? 
Um, as much as I would love for them to do that, that chameleon thing and just, you know, go, you know, turn it around and go to six. Listen, they're not that far away because, you know, actually they're, you know, seventh and eighth seed are, you know, the Pistons are under 500, the Bulls are under 500, the Pacers are one game over 500. So as much as the Hornets have been a disaster, if they somehow could just turn things around, they still have a, a decent shot at the playoffs. Now, the way they've been playing, I won't say comfortably that they'll make the playoffs. Um, speaking about Kaminsky, do we? Do yeah, I shop him? Yeah. So, do I shop Kaminsky? That's interesting. It would depend on what I would be getting back in return. He's been playing better. Um, still, don't think he's that guy you can really rely on to ever be your starting center. Um, I just. Well, and with Zeller, like how pivotal he's <laughs> yeah. been. To your point, that's why I'm asking whether you shop him now. It depends on what teams would be willing to offer. Um, I still There's have lots of people that want to stretch five that can shoot the three. Yeah. Uh, I still have, yeah, I still have doubts about Kaminsky. So I would be, I would actually be fine shopping him to see what you know what's out there for offers. Um, again, we we talked about that deal for the Bucks. You know, they wanted to get rid of Plumlee, and the Hornets taking Plumlee's contract just doesn't make sense to me either because he, as we mentioned, I think he makes twelve million a year for the next three seasons after this one. Um, for a guy who wasn't barely was barely playing in Milwaukee, um, he's not good even when he does play. Um, and they just took his contract in twelve million a year for the next three years. I don't know what the whole point of that deal was because I know you're missing Zeller, but Blum, Plumlee's not going to fix anything. So I don't, I don't, I don't like that trade for for Charlotte moving forward. And I don't really think they have other real moves to make to actually improve. Um, I think they kind of just have to chalk this one up as just a really disappointing year and, and hope things turn around for next season. That's what I kind of feel like the whole mood would be in that locker room at this point. But. Yeah, well, no six seven games of the season because they have a five game western conference road trip coming up yeah we'll know pretty quickly how they feel coming out of the all-star break and if they think that uh they can make a charge for the playoffs too bad. i love kemba he's such a great player yeah i love kemba really like steve clifford as coach i was this yeah. is a really disappointing team that's all i gotta say really yeah um, the most disappointing team for me in the league this year yeah for sure um now let's move on to our team that i really hate hearing about the new york knickerbockers <laughs> Boy, can they be anything but trending down? I have. Oh, at the All-Star game. oh my god! Oh my god! That's such a what a mess. I mean, what a just what a. I love the unicorn, and I don't want to talk about the Knicks. All right, good. I just would like to say that in my notes, I have them trending down in all capital letters. So. Can I just say? Can I just say? Can I blow my own horn and tell you? Remember what I said? No way the Knicks make the playoffs. Remember when oh. I said that? Oh, I remember that. Thank, thankfully, yeah. I, thankfully, I agreed with you. Not no way. I had them out of the playoffs, but as like the ninth or tenth seed. But yeah. No, I said this team is going to be terrible. I was dead on the money about that. What? A, what? What a mess! And and there's no real way moving forward. Thankfully, they have their draft picks. Unlike their. Uh, I can't even believe I feel sorry for Melo, but I actually do. Uh, right, right. I actually feel bad for him with the way Phil Jackson's publicly treating him and just the mess around him. And Melo's actually done a nice job of of I being. Who's worse, James Dolan or Donald Trump? <laughs> Boy, that's a tough competition right there. Uh, <laughs> we could talk about that for a while, but yeah, no, no more Knicks talk. That's enough. Let's yeah, move on to a more. In- yeah, <laughs> let's move on to a more fun team to talk about. I'd say the Philadelphia 76ers, twenty-one and thirty-five, really close to passing the Knicks. Really, um, I, they're trending up for the future. They really just have to get healthy, Simmons and Embiid, um, and then add some pieces in the in the draft and maybe in free agency add some nice pieces that aren't um, you know star players, but you know some nice solid pieces they could probably swing in free agency that would help come to a nice young core. Um, in terms of the trade deadline, 
the rumors have been swirling about selling Jaleel Okafor. Uh, it was rumored they could get a first round pick from New Orleans. I would I would do that um, if I was them. I would sell Okafor. I, I don't really see him as being a, a real piece for that team. Um, I'd rather keep I'd, no. I'd, I'd try to get uh, give them my pick and Okafor to get Drew Holiday and, and get assurances from Drew Holiday. He'd sign with them. That's what I heard. They, uh, I heard that the Sixers were interested in Holiday, but that the Pelicans were saying no, hoping that they could resign them. But then I heard that the 76ers are planning to offer him a huge contract to get him back to Philadelphia. That'd be a nice. Uh, there is, there is also though that as bad as the Pelicans are with with Lauren Holiday having the brain tumor that was removed, they went out of their way to appease and do whatever. Holiday needed until he came back, so he's probably going to feel inclined to want to return there if there's if there's no other issues. But yeah, that's what I would do if I was Brian Colangelo. Is I would try and get because Drew doesn't need to. Um, he can score, or I would go after Bledsoe again. Yeah. You know, like someone that has some toughness and some experience and some grit. And I, to me. Again, Anthony Davis, even though he's a bit of a unicorn, there's got to be issues with the leadership because he could not get that team to perform with basically the same team. And Drew Holiday came back and snapped. They were playing better. Yeah, I, I still have doubts as Davis being – listen, he's extremely talented, but I still I still have doubts about him leading a team for the most part, that, uh, leading a successful he's team. Tracy McGrady-like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I could see that. Yeah, Tracy McGrady. Did you read that um, Simmons article? Uh, which Simmons wrote a really great article about Tracy McGrady. It's really long, and I'm not even sure if it was on Grantland or not, but he talked about how basically when the Rockets were on that 22-0 run back in the day mm-hmm. that McGrady was approached, and at the time I think um, Jeff Van Gundy was the coach, and he said, I'm not comfortable being the leader. And ironically enough, Chuck Hayes was the guy that was the leader in the locker room. Mm -hmm. And he said, I I don't mind leading on the court. I just don't want to be the guy whose voice, who has to be the voice. So maybe he's that type of player. But the difference is, I never saw Tracy not try on defense. And oftentimes I see Davis not try. Yeah, and it, we'll, leave, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, we'll leave it at that for for Davis and the Pelicans. We can get to them in a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I would I would say the 76ers are trending way up. Love love for the pieces they have. I think they need more of a two than a one. And um, is it O'Connell? TJ O'Connell? Like that kid's yeah, hilarious. So funny. Um, there's still issues about character with Noel, which is why his name probably isn't being. They've, they've tried to shop him everywhere, and no one wants him. I wonder if they could do better by trying to maybe shop uh, Robert Covington. Yeah, I'd be interesting because he's a really good defender, and he can hit the three for the most part. Um, pass worth, you know what? Yeah. So well, but yeah, 76ers are trending. Pass could change that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, 76ers trending up, especially for the future. Um, let's spend a little bit of time. We've already talked about them and slandered them enough. The Orlando Magic, down, trending down. Um, they had a terrible offseason. Pe- people knew they had a bad offseason when they were making those moves in the offseason. Um, I expected more from them. I really did. I expe- Even though their pieces don't fit together, I still expected more from them. I expected more. I expected them to miss the playoffs, but I expected more than this. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of on you on that. And, you know, they've done this thing with a, it was like two years ago, I think. When they, oh no, I think it was, yeah, I think it was two or three years ago when they were rumored to almost sign Paul Millsap and then Millsap, you know, went to Atlanta and said, hey, I've got this uh, offer from Orlando, we want to re-sign me, and then Atlanta re-signed him, so 
Right, when he was leaving Utah, and I wanted Toronto to sign him in. <laughs> and then the question is that, um, you know, will, they even, will the Magic attract free agency, uh, free agents for that matter? Um, I think, What's the issue there? Like, nobody wants to stay there. Like, what is it? I, I, can't, I can't explain it. It has to be something with, with management for the most part. It, because if Maybe pl- it's just all the bikinis. <laughs> Maybe, you know what? Maybe that is. Maybe Orlando's the, the city that can't control its players with, with its uh, you know culture. Um, Maybe you need a Pat Riley to keep everyone in, a, in, in, in line. I don't know. Uh, they, yeah, but they do need an, an overhaul in the front office, and I think that will happen. If they yeah, continue I, on— I think they try to get rid of Vukovic and some team that could afford to take him for to have on their bench will take him. Yeah, they should sell some guys. Um, again, we had that, in, that weird uh, rumor, Reggie Jackson for— uh, Jeff Green and DJ Augustine. We'll see if that happens. That'll be just kind of a swing for the fences, basically. Because Cavs will go for Augustine for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's actually having a nice year, and he could be a, a good piece on some teams. So, but yeah, trending down for the Orlando Magic, and let's get to the ultimate trending down team. Um, <laughs> Everybody except for Levere and Whitehead are movable. Yes, um, trending down for the Nets, and you know Billy King, that former the former GM, to this day still be you know. You know, criticized, chastised for just th- that trade. That no, that's all on Prokhorov. Uh, I don't know, but Billy King is the GM who has to make the moves. He's got to get the blame too. Mm, I'm sorry if my owner tells me this is what I have to do. It's what I have to do. I mean, Prokhorov is bad. We we know he's bad, and but that whole move, no matter who orchestrated that, has ruined them for the future. And as this- much as an idiot as Vlade Divac is. <laughs> That's all on Vivac, whatever his name is. I, I think the same thing with Billy King because prior to that, that team was not bad. It was not bad, yeah. They were just desperate to make a splash and it did not work out in any way. Um, but yeah, as you said, basically any, basically everyone um, but Levert and uh, Whitehead are movable. They've been asking for two first-round picks for Lopez. I do not think they're going to get that. Um, Marks will pull something. I'm really impressed with what they've done with the leadership of that team. I love Sean Marks. I love Kenny Atkinson has a D-League team playing every night, and they're in more games than they're not. Yeah, I've been really impressed with their um, their kind of will, their desire to play they hard. They've an identity. Yes, they do. They shoot a lot of threes. They shoot. They are. They shoot. Uh, I think they're like top three and in, in three pointers attempted. Not just that they actually compete. They grind. They play. Like they don't have the talent, but they don't give up. Yeah, and that speaks that's to the, the coach. Thing and to have when you're the worst team in the league. Yeah, um, and they've had injuries to Jeremy Lamb, but not like he would make a huge difference for them not to be this bad. But uh, it's just it's going to be an ugly probably couple of years in Brooklyn, um, and it's just what they're going to have to deal with for the next couple of years. That's just how it is, really. Okay, and that was part one of this two-part series in which we analyzed the Eastern Conference at the trade deadline slash All-Star break, uh, talking about if they're trending up or down and potential moves they might make by the trade deadline. Uh, Look out for part two in which we talk about the Western Conference as well in the same manner coming up soon with Tamberlin Richardson. Take care, guys.